Hello and welcome to the Bike Podcast. Every month we'll be delving into the wide world of cycling. From bike reviews and cycling holidays to biking trends and campaigns, Guardian journalists and leading figures from the cycling community will be bringing you the two-wheeled news that matters. We'd really like our listeners to get involved as well, so if there are any burning bike issues you think we should explore, let us know on the Bike Podcast page found at guardian.co.uk. Coming up in this first ever Bike Podcast... Kevin Main, the director of National Cycling Body CTC, tells Matt Wells about his hopes for the future of bike riding. And Fixed Gear London tell us about the style of fixed wheel biking which has gone from track racing to being used by urban couriers and is now being ridden by the trendy art and design types in East London. Also in this month's programme. I'm Susan Greenwood and I'm going to try and find out whether it's possible to escape from the urban sprawl of London for a weekend of wild mountain biking on the Isle of Skye. And I'm Dr Justin Spinney. I'll be road testing three brand new road bikes, the Trek 1.2, the Fuji Rubai Pro and the Pinnacle Ligera. And we've teamed up with Evan Cycles and if you're interested in getting a 10% discount at one of their stores, make sure you keep listening. But first, it's been an incredible 12 months for Chris Hoy and in three Olympic gold medals, the BBC Sports Personality of the Year and a knighthood to his already impressive CV. We thought he'd be the best person to launch our new podcast. The Guardian's online sports editor, Sean Ingle, is a big fan. Can you give us two workouts here? Because we'll have a wide range of cyclists listening to this. One for a sort of a beginner that wants to use cycling to get fit. And perhaps could you tell us, you know, the hardest workout you do, the real killer. So all those, all those cyclists that go to clubs and they want to know what you do to work out. Um, what's okay. your routine? Okay, well, I mean, I in terms of my training, I do a wide range of stuff. You know, we target um, all the different components of training. So we look at, you know, the things you need, like your acceleration when you, you start, your top end speed, and the ability to hold on to speed when you start to feel the lactic acid burning in your legs, all these different things we work on. Um, and I would say that the toughest one we do, or the one that causes the most pain, um, is a session, and it's done on a static bike. So you're in the lab or in the gym or wherever it is on your static bike, and I go flat out for 30 seconds, and then I have a minute recovery, just just either pedaling very, very gently or stopping completely. And I do that four times in a row. And then I have maybe half an hour break of just easy pedaling, and then I do it again. And it doesn't really sound like much. It's only two minutes in each session times two, so four minutes in total of effort. But if you do it hard enough, and if you do it at the right intensity, um, you're on your knees in absolute agony at the end of it. But it is just so effective at training the body to, to deal with lactic acid and that's the one thing that really slows you down once the, the lactic acid builds up you, your body starts to shut down and the muscles don't work properly and you slow down um, but obviously I wouldn't recommend that people go straight in there and do that flat out from the from the outset um, I would say that no matter what level of fitness you're at I would just say that it's all about maybe writing a little program down just a very basic one and when I say a program it could just be you know if, if say your ride to work is five miles um you know, you, either you add a little bit extra distance, go an extra, maybe an extra half mile or an extra mile on your route and try and do it in the same time. And then by doing that, you might find some quieter roads to go on. Or it could be that you just try and set yourself a time. So you set yourself a target for your, your fastest time into work and your fastest time home from work and, and just try and keep beating that. And it sounds dead simple, but it's all about making very small incremental improvements or changes. And, and over, over time, that makes a difference. If you go in and make massive, drastic changes, you'll be so sore the next day it'll put you off it so you know it's better to do very small amounts and and it's better for you health wise as well do you cycle for fun when you're not racing and if so what bike do you use 
Yeah, I do. Um, I think I think it's important to ride my bike for fun as well as just for training because otherwise I would just associate it with pain. Um, you know, every time you sling your leg over a bike, it's going to hurt. So if you still ride your bike for fun, then you remind yourself why you took it up in the first place. And, you know, I do roads, road rides through the, the countryside where it's nice and quiet and you get away from it all. And it just it reminds me what it's all about. And I certainly plan to go back to doing more mountain biking when I get a bit um, or when I finish my cycling career. Um, because that's I just love that there's nothing better than getting up in the hills away from everything and the peace and quiet and you can just enjoy you know being active um, in, in some really beautiful scenery are there any uh, particular routes that you're particularly fond of for mountain biking uh, I suppose the, the ones that mean the most to me are the Pentland Hills in Edinburgh which is just just south of Edinburgh and I used to go there when I was in my early teens and it's just it's incredible that you're that close to a major city and yet you can feel so far away from it all um, but but really all over Scotland there's lovely places to go there's great parts in the Lake District in Wales you know there's just numerous places you can get off road and away from the traffic and, and really make the most of, of mountain biking and uh, finally what uh, hope do you have for London 2012 what legacy will it leave for cycling and perhaps can you throw yourself forward 10 years and what would you like to see in a perfect world for cyclists well from from a track cycling perspective the, the great thing is we're getting this amazing facility and, and we've seen what the, the velodrome in Manchester has done for British cycling so to have another centre to have even more chance to reach out to a wider audience to have more school kids come down and try it out you know you're going to double your chances of having future champions you know in 10-20 years time down, further down the line um, it's it's just very exciting because until 1994 there was no indoor velodrome in Britain and we were fighting a losing battle trying to compete against the top nations and now we've got one in Newport, we're going to have one in London there's going to be one built in Glasgow for the 2014 Commonwealth Games so I think it's in a great state of affairs and to have this you know, this really exciting time where we're being very successful it's going to bring more people into the sport and that in itself will hopefully settle a a great legacy and, and continue on the, the trend that, that Britain is uh, you know, the top cycling nation in the world. Well, it's been a great pleasure talking to you, Chris. All the best for the future. And, uh, Thank you. Let's see you on the podium in 2012. Cheers. Take care. Hi, producer Pete here. In every podcast, we'll be reviewing newly released bicycles. And right now we're looking at road bikes suitable for the average commuter. I asked Evans to recommend three road bikes in the £800 category and they've given us the Trek 1.2, the Fuji Rube Pro, and the Pinnacle Ligera. To put these to the test, I've drafted in Dr. Bicycle himself, fresh from writing his PhD, Cycling the City, Movement, Meaning and Practice. It's Justin Spinney from the University of Surrey. How are you, Justin? I'm very good, Pete. And how's the world of bike academia? The world of bike academia is, uh, as you'd expect, fast and furious. <laughs> So, should we start off with talking about the Fuji? To look at it, it's quite stylish. You'd, you'd stand out around town on that. I would definitely say, Pete. Um, I mean, out of the three, uh, for me personally, it, it's it's a lovely looking bike. It's very smooth. Um, it's a very well made frame. It's you know, all, all the welds are very smooth. Okay. Well, you took this out earlier. I did mic you up when you went out. So let's hear how you got on. Just riding back from Finsbury Park. Down the main road, plenty of traffic, so let's see how we go. And it feels smooth, accelerates very quickly, really effortless, really stiff, very, very smooth. Again, bike doing a lot of the work, it's exactly what you're going to need when it's six o'clock in the morning and it's raining cats and dogs. And then you can, you can flick it in very quickly, it turns so quickly, this bike. 
that could be a good or a bad thing depending on what sort of rider you are. You might come and stuck with it, or you might feel totally at home with it. Trap it die out a bit, give it some welly. Yeah, ride this bike at a rate of knots quite comfortably. Okay, just coming some traffic, slow it down a bit, shift down, nice on the brakes, and through. So Justin, you, you seem to enjoy riding it, but perhaps not the best bike for riding in the city. Yeah, Pete, I, I think it kind of depends what sort of rider you are, because um, it's a very small, compact bike. You know, if you haven't got big, long arms, it'd be a perfect bike for you, I think. But it, it's very compact, it makes it very twitchy, makes it quite manoeuvrable. So in some senses, that's really good for the city traffic, but some people might find it a bit of a handful because it does turn very quickly. Let's move on to the Pinnacle Ligera. What did you think of this one, Justin? Again, Pete, uh, this is a nice bike. It's a similar price point to the Fuji. Um, it's got a very nice frame. Um, personally, I don't think it looks quite as swish, but again, yeah, it's a nice aluminium frame. It's a carbon fork. Okay, well, again, you took this out earlier. Let's uh, have a listen to how you got on. Going up the hill just to give it a spin out and see what it feels like. So let's get some gears going, get into a slightly bigger gear, smooth shift. Yeah, so far it really does want to go up this hill out of the saddle then back into the saddle and it feels quite nice definitely get a good rhythm going feels quite stiff at the back uh, nearing the top now and uh, slightly out of breath I think that's me not the bike it does feel like it's doing a lot of the work for you which is what you want comfort wise really nice without too much adjustment we've got a really nice position not too stretched out not too cramped, it was really good whether you're on the drops or you're on the flats with the brakes on that downhill as well, really nice, not scary at all, quite progressive and confidence inspiring really. You seem to have a good time when you uh, got up to speeds on that one Justin, so good for going fast? Definitely, definitely. Feels very stable going down the hills at speed. I mean, didn't really get up to more than 25, 30 miles an hour, but in the city, when are you going to go faster than that, really? So, um, no, really nice, stable bike. Okay, and then we move on to the Trek. Now, the Trek's actually a lot cheaper, isn't it? The Trek is significantly cheaper. This was our kind of wildcard bike. The other two bikes are around the £800 mark. This is significantly less. I think it's about 550 and there's a few telltale signs of that. You look at the frame, the welds are showing. It's not quite as smooth um, on paper. It, it is a heavier bike. When it comes to riding it, it's, it's still a very, very nice bike to ride. Well, let's find out just how nice it was. And yeah, just coming down the drag now. Put it onto the big ring, it's a smooth shift. And put on the power a little bit. And it's nice, it's, you know, Easily accelerates stiff enough. Yeah, negotiates the corner nicely, really solid. Brake's not as good there. Um, definitely don't feel as strong or as progressive as the other two bikes, I would say. Just coming to a stop now. Nice and comfy as well. Going over the speed bumps. Feels really, really good actually. Don't feel you've got to get out of the saddle for them or anything. It handles the road nonsense really well. All the potholes and stuff. Oh, nice. So the uh, the Caledonian Road had nothing on you on that trek, Justin. 
Absolutely not. I mean, the, the thing with this bike is I was expecting it to feel quite sluggish. It's a little bit heavier on paper, but no. Um, really, really nice bike. And again, a bit similar to the Pinnacle in the sense that you very much feel like you're sitting in this bike. Bit, a bit more stretched out, very solid, very stable. Good for the rider who's just starting out, really. And a really good all-round bike, I would say. It didn't feel... 250 pounds cheaper let's put it that way i mean it, it had some telltale signs the brakes weren't as good yeah they weren't stopping you as progressively the gears were a bit more agricultural as you'd expect they're shimano but they're a little lower down the scale but that said for 550 pounds it's a light and respectable bike definitely okay so these these three bikes were given to us by evans they're their top three bikes in no particular order uh, i'm going to ask you now to put them in order what's, what's your number one bike here justin I'm going to have to cop out of that slightly, Pete, because all three of these bikes do different things and they do it really, really well. What I would say is that it's the, is this bike going to make you want to get out of bed on a, on a rainy morning and ride it to work? And I would say that all three of these bikes are going to do that. Well, thanks for that, Justin. And we look forward to hearing more bike tips from you in the future on the pod. As promised at the start of the programme... If you're interested in these or indeed any other bikes from Evan Cycles, you can get a 10% discount if you quote POD10 at the time of purchase. I'm Matt Wells, and in the coming months here on the Guardian's Bike Podcast, we'll be looking at the key issues facing cyclists and looking for ways to improve conditions on and off the roads. CTC, the UK's national cyclist organisation, has recently come up with a new master plan, if you like, for cycling. So for this first podcast, uh, I'm joined by the CTC director, Kevin Main. Thanks for agreeing to come on the first edition. You're very welcome. Uh, we've come to a canal towpath near the Guardian's offices that's often a scene of conflict between users, whether they're cyclists, pedestrians, runners, uh, dog walkers, although there are no taxi drivers on, there, on, on the canal today. What ideas does CTC have to resolve these kind of perennial conflicts? I think broadly speaking, it's, it's actually time to move on from that kind of detail. I mean, I, I've just come back from the biggest sort of cycling conference in the world, and it's very, very notable that the rest of the world is kind of moving on from these very um, parochial British obsessions. The general sense of what we might call the non-motorised user community, actually just getting on with it, with preventing climate change, with getting people fitter, uh, and and stop being obsessed by our own square yard. Um, yeah, it, I mean, we are going to be in a different world. Okay, uh, so, so if, you, if we're to move on, on from all of that, what are the issues and, and the big problems facing cycling and cyclists today? I think you've got a complete split between a kind of national policy level where it's genuinely understood that cycling's got something to offer. That's almost new news. I mean, that, if I go back 10 years, that certainly wasn't the case. Then you go right down to the person on the street or the person on the canal towpath and you listen to what they're saying and you've got a whole mixture of kind of positive stuff about cycling's growing, more children are doing it, people want to do it for their health and a perception that's still too dangerous. And it, that's what you've got to deal with. You've got to deal with my fear of traffic, my fear of bad driving, my fear of potholes. Well, there we are. Good, good use of the two things. Yeah, absolutely. Policy, very, very safe polite. cycling. Yeah. Very polite, very friendly <laughs> passerby there. That's a good one. A lot of the things that 
in people's minds make them more able to cycle is about the opinions of their friends or family. It's almost psychologically the word, it's a tipping point theory that suddenly when someone decides and you know, every member of government would like to claim they're responsible for the increase in cycling in London, which is nearly doubled. You can't actually find almost one policy lever that did that. There was almost a sort of cultural shift where people said, this is easier. I feel fitter, I'm fed up with the parking or the tube, and I made that jump. And elsewhere in the country, uh, projects like the Cycling Towns projects, or people who come to CTC for cycle training and come and help, have, have made a mental leap that they want to give this a go. Casualty figures are generally going down, which is a good sign. And, uh, and, and how is that? Because I hear that, that there is a theory that the more cyclists there are on the road, the, the safer it gets. Is it's, that right? It's more than a theory now. It's a really a well-established piece of evidence. And we've got an early day motion in Parliament at the moment trying to get the government to build into the road safety plan. Basically, we're saying if you double cycling in the next 10 years, you'll massively reduce casualties. You'll save the population £3.5 billion in other costs like congestion and climate change and this kind of thing. But the safety numbers thing is really quite exciting. We th nobody actually knows why it works. All we know is on a worldwide basis, Europe-wide basis, and on a town-by-town -town basis in England, the more cyclists you have, the less accidents you have. There's jokes about mobile speed bumps. You know, there's something cyclists do when they're out in the road that makes motorists behave differently. That's almost certainly a factor. It's almost most certainly that a motorist knows somebody who cycles as well and feels more benevolent towards cycling but it's an extraordinary correlation it's working at all sorts of levels what policy decisions just as we try to avoid these cyclists try and get knocked over here what policy decisions would you like to see an incoming government of, of whatever you take for cyclists some fundamental policies I mean one is continuing to support the promotion of cycling right across government so switch on your health policies switch on your countryside policies keep the funding out for sport wherever it may be that cycling's a lever you've got to do it a lot of your transportation and planning policies should be predicated on cycling and walking frankly um, you know out of town supermarkets you name the decision that says you can put something like that or a leisure centre somewhere where people can't cycle to it mm. that's basically got to be knocked on the head and then you go into i think all the measures that make it feel safer the safety's coming with the more cyclists but stop talking about it's going to be dangerous start talking about yes there's some risk but we will deal with the bad drivers we will deal with the potholes you you pick your subject deal with the lorries kevin main thanks very much still to come on the bike podcast <laughs> that was rad. But before that, if you're a city cyclist, chances are you'll have seen people riding around on multicoloured stripped down bicycles which have no derailers and only one gear. This gear is fixed to the pedals, meaning freewheeling is impossible. But what's the point of this? Is it purely form over function? Fixed Gear London are a group of riders who will build such bikes for you, and they told us more. I'm Andy and about four years ago I got into fixed gear bikes, never had bikes before, I skateboarded before that. Well fixed gear bikes have always been around, the first bikes were fixed. And couriers were probably the first people in recent times to be riding fixed. Just because the bikes are so simple and nothing goes wrong with them and they're easy to maintain. And then after couriers, people like us 
started to ride them. It's basically two cogs that cannot move on the, the axle of the bottom bracket or the, the wheel axle. They're fixed to those axles and the chain that connects them does not have a derailleur or anything so it can't be stretched or moved, it's fixed into place. When you turn the wheel forward the pedals turn forward and thus when you turn the pedals forward and backwards the wheel will turn. If you've got a, a bike with gears, if you start going uphill, people, you change down your gears to compensate. When really, you know, if you're walking or running up a hill, you haven't got any gears, you just try harder. And it's the same with stopping as well. You know, you've got your own perception of where things are in the world and if you're going to bump into something. So riding a fixed gear bike, it, it trains your senses. It makes me a more aware cyclist. I'm Mike Markenschlager, I'm 16, and I'm at school at the moment in my AS levels. In my free time I do a lot of cycling, uh, most of the stuff on fixed gear bikes, uh, messing around, doing tricks, going on rides with my friends, stuff like that. Basically what, what we're doing now is taking a, a step backwards at the roots of, of where it's come from and how it's influenced other things, so track bikes originally, what, what spurred out of that? was sort of artistic cycling, um, which still goes on today. When BMX first emerged, it was sort of an amalgamation of new bikes, so new technology, and took influence from artistic cycling with the freestyle movement, and it took influence from skateboarding with the sort of flatland, and, and now we, we're taking influence both from BMX, from artistic cycling, and from skateboarding. So it's just like a new, like, it's an evolving sport. My name's Odge Wong, I work with Fixed Gear London. Coming up here is Mikey, and he's doing a bit of freestyle. At the moment he's uh, track standing, and then he's just done a endo into a 540 Kyo spin. Endo is like where you just push the front wheel against like a wall or something, um, just to you know push off from something, so you got some momentum, and then you, he rolls out, and then he just went into a you lock that you lock your legs, so basically it forces the bike to turn around, and uh, he just did it like 540 degrees spin on the back wheel. He's doing a lot of tricks going backwards, which is why fixed wheels are quite popular for you know for tricks and stuff because you can ride backwards. And now he's uh, doing a one-handed wheelie. They sell off-the-peg bikes around um, 500, 600 pounds. Um, that's like a basic bike. It's a good bike. Uh, all the components are of decent quality. Uh, but because it's customised, you can choose everything. You can spend like up to a few thousand pounds on a fixed gear bike if you wanted to. So people do it over time. People do, do it all in one go. I don't think it's a passing trend. I think it's just. I don't think it's a trend at all. It's just that people caught on now, and it's something that's going to develop and grow over time. Right, we're outside uh, 14 Bike Co in Truman Brewery, Brick Lane, and uh, let me take you in and have a look at a few bikes. People can choose lots of colours. We've got a yellow one, we've got like blues and pinks. Um, I mean, the most popular colours are ranging with anything between black and white, really. The chains come in every shade you like blue, purples, and silver, golds, blacks, everything. Hubs as well. Before you would only think that you get them in silver, but now you get them in black, white, purple. Uh, we've got the, our workshop, um, which is where we build all the bikes. Um, 
customer specs out what they want and then we just um, build it up right here. There's a fair amount of snobbery connected to like you know different forms of cycling but I guess there always has been and there probably always will be. With fixed gear bikes a lot of people think that it's, it's sort of a poser sort of sport well and there's there's like a certain amount of truth to it as as with most other stereotypes and stuff like that so uh, I don't know once you can see past that and sort of past the whole people buying bikes for just for aesthetics um, there's like a there's a real real like love for the sport you know it's not just like buying a multicolored bike I'm Susan Greenwood I'm a travel writer for the Guardian newspaper I'm stood at Euston Station, surrounded by the hubbub of people leaving work, rushing to get their trains, everybody's moving very, very quickly and I feel a bit like I'm stood in the middle of a maelstrom at the moment because I'm off to the Isle of Skye, which is about as distinct from this environment as you could possibly get, I imagine. I'm off to do something called a single track weekend with a company called Highlands and Islands Adventures but the thing I'm most excited about at the moment is I'm getting the Caledonian sleeper with Scott Rail, which is the first time I've ever done this. So I'm going to get on the train now. I'm going to feel a little bit like Harry Potter, as if I'm about to disappear into a whole new magical kingdom. So it's seven o'clock in the morning. I've just woken up. I've had a really good night's sleep. But I've just opened up my blind and... Um, I see that we're plunging um, through the highlands. Uh, the view's fantastic. You consider the last thing I saw out of the window uh, was Watford Junction to you know, throw back the blind now and see a spectacular view of Scotland. It's getting me really excited actually to go riding. So it's a fantastic way to start this adventure. Okay, so we, we got off the train at Inverness, everything went very smoothly, and we were met by really uh, smiley Catherine Ewan, who run Highlands and Islands Adventures, uh, and we've stopped off en route to Sky uh, at a trail centre called Largan. Tell me, because the, the more I talk to you and about your mountain marathons and stuff, the bigger the fear I am nurturing within <laughs> my soul. So Ewan, what can I expect from this downhill bit? Okay, from here back down to the car park, what we're expecting is single track with a little section of double track. It's about 7k with a minimal amount of climbing, so it's a free, free ride down and some interesting obstacles. Okay, we're at Quarang, 
uh, on the north of the Isle of Skye. It's been a brilliant journey up here and um, as I stare up at a uh, fog-shrouded sheer cliff, uh, which is apparently where I'm going to be riding today. Cat, however, isn't going to be riding today and I'm interested to find out why. Why, Cat? Why? Well, the official reason is that I'm going to go further down the road and pick you up in the Land Rover so that you don't have to come all the way back up this road. The unofficial reason is that I have actually been up there already and I have walked it and decided at that point that I wasn't going to ride it. So, I wish you luck. Wow, it's quite a view. Yeah, yeah. Is that the, oh look, is that cat in the jeep? That is, that's the car down the bottom, yeah, wow. 500 metres below us. I didn't, I didn't ex really expect it to be quite so, you know, like it looks really barren as you drive in the car, but the moment you see it from up the top, it's, it's really yeah. kind of flowy, it looks really as if it's moving. Yeah, <laughs> rolling, rolling. Yeah, I rolling. Mean, rolling away <laughs> from the steep cliffs where we are. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's hope. I'm not rolling away. <laughs> 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 that was rad. <laughs> so the ride we've just done was not really like anything I've ever done before because it kind of threw everything mountain biking can throw at you in one one place considering um including dense fog so you can actually see where you're going tom you do a lot of downhill mountain biking and you're a southern based rider what what did you think of the route we did it was technically and visually different in so many ways the terrain was just astonishing so super rocky um super technical um, very hard to climb um certainly it threw a lot at you <laughs> it threw a lot at you um in terms of your skill level um but yeah, definitely even probably more technical than some stuff I've ridden in, in the Alps and stuff. So um, definitely worth a visit, I'd say, um, for an experienced or unexperienced mountain biker. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I really felt like it pushed me out of a comfort zone that was built around trail centre riding, probably. And I, I thought I was quite a good trail centre rider on reds and stuff, but that it, it sort of really opened up a whole new world of riding. We're in the car park outside the Slagachan Hotel, ready to go fossil hunting. Um, Ewan, what can you tell me about the route we're doing today? Okay, this is in the south of the island, just out the back of Broadford, and we are going to cycle out to uh, what they reckon is one of the last villages to be cleared during the Highland Clearances, called Borareg, and it is situated uh, on the edge of Loch Slappen, and down there is a nice beach which has lots of fossils. So when we stop for lunch, we can hunt for fossils, take some nice pictures, and then work our way along the coast um, and do a nice big loop back to the car. Big rocks in the, re in, the, in the path and stuff, which made it quite technical. But now, now where we are, I mean, we're not even at the top and the view is absolutely stunning. It looks like something out of land before time, apart from there's one really stubborn little white house. <laughs> the trail eventually hit the sea, and this is in the south of the island, where we came across a really quite eerie, um, deserted crofting village. And a, and a beach made of fossils. 
So without a doubt, my favourite day on Sky, it was challenging mountain biking, really, really good fun. But also you got the feel of what mountain biking could be like when you step away from the trail centres. It's a way of exploring the land. It's a way of getting to grips with nature. It's a way of just getting the cobwebs blasted away um, by great sea air. So all in all, an absolutely brilliant weekend. Can't recommend it highly enough. It will push you completely out of your comfort zone when it comes to mountain biking. The entire duration for uh, two nights, uh, and you can have an extra night as an optional, it's £300. Food, accommodation, transport, everything provided by Highlands and Islands Adventures. A return train fare on ScotRail on the Caledonian Sleeper starts at £110 return. The website to go to is www.handyadventures.co.uk. So now all that's needed is for me to get some desperately needed sleep on the train before turning up to work on Monday morning, hopefully a little less muddy than I am at the moment. Well, that's it for this month's programme. If you've got any comments you'd like to make about fixed wheel bikes or anything else we've covered, please visit the Bike Podcast page on our website and post your views. Don't forget to check out the bike blog in the ethical living section of the website too. And once again, the code for a 10% discount at Evan Cycles is POD10. We'll be back in July. Till then, happy cycling.